Well, as soon as I parked, bang, I got shot in the head, and I thought, well, I knew it. Second time, I got shot, and uh, I thought, wow, it's not taking an effect. <laughs> so the third time, when it happened, like the first and the second shot, I thought I better play dead. So I put up my hand like that and lay down on the seat. I heard the door slam shut. I heard feet running away. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Shaking America, a podcast where we go over some of the lesser-known events in American history. This story is about the 1983 shooting of Ken Edo, better known as the gambling boss Tokyo Joe in the Chicago criminal underworld. This episode's sources include the Chicago Tribune, the documentary Tokyo Joe, How Two Outsiders Took Down the Chicago Mob, public record including court records, declassified case files from the FBI, as well as Edo's own testimonies, and former FBI agent Elaine Smith's book on the subject, amusingly named A Gun in My Gucci. After coming to Chicago in 1949, Ito grew into a mob sleeper boss, believed the FBI, on a par with the famous New York mafioso Meyer Lansky. Tokyo Joe's craftiness helped turn an illegal numbers racket into an illicit empire. It was $150,000 to $200,000 a week in wages that he was managing. That excerpt from an ABC News story on Edo outlines just how powerful and influential he was in the world of organized crime in Chicago. Tokyo Joe's multi-million dollar gambling operation made him one of the richest criminals in the country, and the attempt on his life, which Ken survived despite three gunshots to the head, is so incredible it's almost hard to believe. But while the story of Tokyo Joe is set in Chicago, it doesn't begin there. Kenneth Joseph Edo was born in Stockton, California in 1999. Edo was a Nisei, which means that he was born in the United States, but his parents were born in Japan. Ken's father was a strict authoritarian and used to beat Ken regularly. When he was old enough, which meant to Ken when he graduated 8th grade, he decided to run away, figuring that life on the railroads would be better than a life full of abuse. Fending for himself, living train to train, Ken eventually discovered that he had a photographic memory. He then used this skill to help him win card games and became a sort of wandering gambler, scraping by, moving town to town, swindling people in cards. He was charismatic and friendly and unassuming, all traits that were extremely helpful when he was attempting to rob people of their money. Ken's, I guess you could call it free-spirited, lifestyle would come crashing to a halt when World War II broke out. Franklin Roosevelt would succumb to xenophobia and racism and sign Executive Order 9066, condemning all Americans of Japanese descent to live in concentration camps due to their supposed threat to national security. There has been a lot written and a lot said about Order 9066. There was even a good deal of debate about what to call the places the U.S. government forcibly moved the Japanese Americans to. In the 1980s, they were generally called internment camps. During World War II, the government called them wartime relocation centers, sort of trying to soften the message there. In recent years, I've heard historical scholars refer to them as concentration camps, which is what I'm going to call them from here on out, because I believe that's what they were. 
But no matter what the name was, uh, the only important fact is that despite the number of people, including children, infants, and the elderly, as the order did not discriminate based on age, only race, but despite the amount of people taken to the camps, no person born in the U.S. with Japanese ancestry was ever convicted of any espionage or any similar crime during World War II. But in any case, Ken was sent to the Minidoka concentration camp. In Minidoka, he began to really flourish. He began running card games, some of which were rumored to be rigged. He was caught by the guards for violating curfew several times doing this. And he made connections with the inmates that would prove to be invaluable later. After the war ended and the camps were opened, Ken made his way to Chicago. Arriving there in 1949, he used his previous experiences to start running numbers games in the north side of the city. Now, it should be noted that this is Chicago during a particularly dark time in its history. Chicago, of course, has crime today, being a major city, but it was magnitudes worse in the 1970s and 80s when this story takes place in Edo's heyday. A large part of that had to do with the influence of the Chicago Outfit. The Chicago Outfit, at its height, was the largest and the most sophisticated criminal organization on the planet, made famous by the notorious bootlegger Al Capone. The Outfit was a branch of the Italian-American Mafia, or La Cosa Nostra. If there was any sort of illegal activity going on in Chicago, it had to be sanctioned by the Outfit and any aspiring criminal had to first pay tribute to the boss of the outfit, or they would face violent retribution. In 1974, gang violence contributed to the deadliest year in the city's history with 970 homicides. It was in this dark and seedy environment that Ken decided to start his business, launching a series of numbers games across the city. For those that are unaware, numbers games, or numbers rackets, are a type of neighborhood lottery typically run by local organized crime groups. The bets are usually very small, starting at 50 cents and moving up to $5. Because of this, numbers games are a way for poor communities to participate in gambling. The type of game Edo became famous for running was called Bolito or Bolita. I believe it has Cuban origins. In any case, it was very popular in the Puerto Rican neighborhoods at the time and may still be. The way Bolito works is similar to bingo or other numbered ball-based games. A painted numbered ball is purchased by the gambler, and then the ball is placed into a bag and tossed around and randomized. A random ball is taken out, and whoever bought that number wins the pot. Of course, this type of game could be rigged by having extras of a certain number, or even not including specific numbers. We can plausibly imagine that the Mafia was probably rigging some of these games, but that's essentially irrelevant for this story. In either case, Ken Edo starts running a series of Bolito games across Chicago's north side. His photographic memory made him an excellent numbers boss. Most numbers game operations have to use a centralized location in which they write down all the bets and set the odds. Edo, however, could do that type of thing in his head, and he could do it faster and with more accuracy than the competition. He recruited Japanese-American World War II veterans to act as muscle. These were hardened soldiers that had seen some of the most violent battles in history. By the 1950s, his fearsome crew and widespread numbers racket began to grow Edo's reputation in the Chicago underworld. It was at this time he began to be known as Tokyo Joe in criminal circles. But as we mentioned before, any illegal activity in Chicago at this time had to be sanctioned by the outfit. The mafia captain in charge of the North Side, a man named Vincent Solano, sent emissaries to Ken and they worked out a deal. In exchange for a percentage, Elaine Smith says as much as 50% in her book, mafia soldiers would help Ken with security and ensure that local police would not interfere with his games. It was also stated in FBI records at the time that have since been declassified that the outfit and Edo's crew worked together to eliminate Ken's rivals who were running games in the African-American and Puerto Rican neighborhoods of the city. By the 1980s, Edo was making millions of dollars a year from his operation and had become the highest ranking Asian-American mobster in the history of the American Mafia. At this point, Edo had numbers games all over the city. 
and had consolidated near-complete control over Chicago's Bolito rackets. Edo's growing wealth and fearsome reputation did not go unnoticed, however. The FBI had long been monitoring Chicago's north side for organized crime activity, of which Edo was a major player. The Bureau began slowly building a case around Edo, but had very little success. Eventually, FBI agent Elaine Smith was placed in charge. Now, Elaine Smith could have her own episode of this show. From what I've read, she's had a really incredible life. She was one of the only working female FBI agents at this time and faced the type of discrimination a woman in any male-dominated field suffers. She was passed over for promotion, had trouble earning the respect of her peers, and was given difficult tasks to perform. The Edo case was one of those tough jobs. Edo considered himself an honorable man and had stated previously to authorities that he would never betray his boss in the outfit unless they betrayed him first. Twenty years of investigating Edo had resulted in very little success, but Smith was not discouraged. She continued to gather evidence and eventually ordered a raid on one of Edo's bases of operation on interstate gambling charges. Ken was arrested alongside a large percentage of his inner circle. Smith again asked Edo to turn government witness, and despite being impressed by Smith, Ken still said no. After making bail, Ken was called into a meeting with Solano, the outfit captain he had been paying tribute to. In this meeting, Ken allegedly told Solano that he would not talk and would simply serve his time if he was sentenced. While Solano agreed on the surface, in private, he revealed that he was worried that Edo would spill his guts to the FBI if given another chance. He convened with the other outfit captains and their boss, and they sanctioned a hit on Tokyo Joe. There has been suggested that there was some racial bias in this decision, that Ken's Japanese background was looked at unfavorably by some members of the outfit, and that they never really trust him due to him not being Italian. But no matter what factors went into the decision-making, the result was the same. Edo was marked for death. On February 10th of 1983, Edo was invited to a dinner with two mafia enforcers. He really was 90% sure that he was going to be shot. Um, so he took a bath, and he put on his best clothes, and he told his wife where his insurance policy was. The two hitmen drove Edo to an abandoned parking lot, where they shot him three times in the head before leaving him to die. Incredibly, the 64-year-old Edo survived this murder attempt. He made it to a nearby pharmacy, dripping with blood, and managed to call 911 from their telephone. At first, the operator told him to drive himself to the hospital, but after a patient explanation from Edo that he'd been shot in the head three times, they dispatched an ambulance. Elaine Smith again visited Edo, this time in the hospital. Understanding that Solano and the outfit had attempted to have him killed, Ken decided to cooperate, on the condition that he only worked with Smith, as she was the agent he was familiar with and trusted. The outfit responded by attempting to cover its tracks. The two hitmen who had bungled the murder were later found dead in the trunk of a car several months later. As a side note, it has been speculated that the shots to Ken's head were ineffective due to the hand-loaded bullets that the hitmen used, but we'll never know for sure. Over the next several years, Edo would appear in court under a black hood and testify against his former peers, with Smith as his FBI handler. Fifteen people were convicted and sent to prison due to Ken's testimony. This number included several police officers, government officials, and high-ranking Chicago Outfit members. Who do you believe ordered the hit on you, Mr. Ito? Vincent Solano. Would Mr. Solano have had to receive permission to do this hit? Yes. From who? Either Joey Arupa or Jackie Cerrone. Edo talking hit the outfit hard. While the man that ordered Ken's hit, Solano, was never convicted, the amount of his men that were put in prison and the exposure that his organization was hit with shook the very foundations of the mafia in Chicago. Edo's testimony shined a light on the dark underbelly of the city, 
and helped create a push against organized crime. As Smith put it, I just wonder if America will ever realize how much we gain from Ken Edo. Living under the name of Joe Tanaka, Edo would go on to live to the age of 84 with his wife in Georgia in the Witness Protection Program. By all accounts, his life was a quiet and peaceful one, sometimes even played cards. Elaine Smith went on to be the first female supervisor in the history of the FBI. She also led an all-female advisory committee to improve conditions for women in the Bureau. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shaking America.